straight from the street. This is the Dish Doc EM Podcast, bringing you emergency medical education for paramedics, nurses, and EMTs. Here's your host, Owen Wood. What's up, everybody? Owen here, and today we're going to be talking about something that is not specific just to EMS or to medicine in general, and that is bias. This episode is titled, Is Bias Limiting Your Effectiveness as a Pre-Hospital Provider? And I've actually already got the answer for you, and that answer is yes. Bias is something that affects everybody, so don't feel singled out. Even though we're all susceptible to bias, there are some ways that we can manage it so that we can mitigate some of its negative effects. The first way that we can reduce bias is by having a thorough understanding of what it is. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines bias as an inclination of temperament or outlook, especially a personal and sometimes unreasoned judgment. Now, I think we can all agree that in our lives, Most of the decisions that we make are based on our personal feelings or emotions. But when we're trying to think scientifically and allow evidence to guide our decisions, those personal opinions and feelings can really cause a lot of problems. So how can bias affect pre-hospital providers? Well, the first way we can be affected happens long before we even make patient contact. Just about every day, new research is published. And just about every day, that new research is misinterpreted by somebody. Now, there's a lot of ways that people misinterpret research, but here's just a few examples. Searching for studies that support your belief. Let's suppose that I think ketamine is a terrible drug, but my buddy thinks that ketamine is a great drug. Neither of us have any real information to back up our positions, but that's just how we feel. So I go and search for dangers of ketamine while he goes and searches for benefits of ketamine. We are both conducting bias searches and we're likely both gonna come up with information to support our pre-existing position. A good unbiased search might say something like pre-hospital use of ketamine. Number two, witch hunting for invalidating factors in quality research that does not align with your position. An example of this would be if a study were to come out that said, say, sea collars save lives. If my position was that sea collars are the worst thing ever made, I will do anything I can to invalidate the information that's provided in the study. Number three, overlooking confounders in research that supports your position. Sometimes we really just have to swallow our pride and accept that there are problems with a study, even when it supports our opinion. But this isn't necessarily a bad thing. If your belief about a certain topic is actually correct, further research should be able to prove it. And number four, something that I'll call superficial investigation. The best way I could describe this is ending your search for information on a topic after you find the first piece of information. This could be a real problem for you if that first piece of information that you find isn't the highest quality out there. So those aren't the only ways that you could misinterpret research due to bias, but those are a few common ones. The next way that bias can limit your effectiveness as a provider is when it comes to diagnosis. 
Now, diagnosis can be affected by numerous cognitive errors and many variations of bias. But here's just a few examples of bias when it comes to diagnosis that you may have actually seen before. Number one, anchoring bias. Anchoring bias is when you settle on a diagnosis before you have all the facts. Good example of this would be you arrive on scene to a 911 call for respiratory distress. When you get to the patient, he's in a little bit of distress, but not a lot, and you become fixated on the respiratory distress. Without assessing your patient any further, you begin to treat the respiratory distress, only to realize later on at the ED that your patient's having a massive MI. Number two, ascertainment bias. In short, Ascertainment bias occurs when you allow all of your thought process to be guided from a prior experience. So pretty much whatever you're expecting to happen is what your brain is still thinking is happening, even if that's not happening at all. Now, a great example of ascertainment bias is one that anybody who's worked in a 911 system is really familiar with. That's right, I'm talking about the house that calls probably weekly for a drug overdose. No matter what the call is dispatched as, could be sick person, could be drug overdose, could be unconscious, you know what you're getting into when you get there. There's going to be somebody passed out on the floor, not breathing, and you're pretty much going to have to handle that person the same way you did last time. Well, you get dispatched to that house again. So you and your partner go out there, get your gear off the truck, walk inside, and as you expected, there they are laying on the floor, not breathing. And you go through all the normal treatments that you do every time you come to this house. But this time your patient dies. The bias that you carried to that call is what killed your patient. Because you were expecting that this was yet another narcotic overdose, as happens every week, you failed to realize that your patient was actually choking. Number three, confirmation bias. Now, confirmation bias is a big factor in how you interpret research and also carries over to your diagnoses. In a nutshell, confirmation bias occurs when you formed an opinion about a particular subject, and from that moment on, you only tend to notice information that supports your opinion while neglecting information that goes against it. An example of confirmation bias in the field might be a young woman in her mid-20s who experiences a syncopal episode at her place of employment. You notice that her serum glucose is only 60 milligrams per deciliter, and you make your diagnosis of hypoglycemia. Just to make sure that you've got the right diagnosis, you ask a few more questions. But maybe these questions only include, when was the last time you ate? Or have you ever had a problem with hypoglycemia? As opposed to gathering a more full and complete history. And you probably chalk it up as coincidence when she tells you right before she passed out, it felt like her heart was racing. But you stick with your diagnosis of hypoglycemia and close that case right on up without getting a 12 lead. Now, besides the fact that you're as wrong as a football bat for not getting a 12 lead on a patient who experienced syncope, hypoglycemia does not cause syncope. Number four, blind spot bias. Basically, blind spot bias is neglect or refusal to see our own weaknesses and errors. Now, obviously, everybody has their own strengths and their own weaknesses. But if we fail to identify our own weaknesses and accept that those are our weak areas, 
then we'll never be able to get better at them, which poses a significant problem when we're faced with a situation which requires our skill or knowledge of that particular weak point. Now, outside of misinterpreting research and making diagnostic errors, there's another place that we as pre-hospital providers can be tricked into a bias attitude. And that is when we confuse our level of experience with a bias. Now, of course, experience is essential to acquire a skill, no matter what it is. If you want to become proficient, you have to have experience. However, disregard for credible and current evidence because of your experience is a bias in one form or another. Now, there's more than a few treatment modalities that I've been taught and I've seen actually work in the field while treating patients, but current research shows that they're not such a good idea. Now, when you've seen a procedure or technique be effective nearly 100% of the time when you've performed it, it's pretty hard to shake your opinion about it. But by putting your pride to the side for a moment and understanding how to consume the evidence, we can reduce or eliminate bias in this form. So finally, how can we avoid bias? Number one, and probably most importantly, learn as much as you can about bias and other cognitive errors. The more you know about the ways that your brain can trick you, the more prepared you'll be to stop it from doing so. Second, Question everything you think you know. A lot of times, as humans, we're pretty quick to question others, but not so quick to question ourselves. Number three, admit to yourself when you know you're wrong or don't know something. If I made a clinical error while treating a patient and did not consciously accept that I was wrong, then I will never be able to correct the deficiency that I have that led to that error. And fourth and finally, use cognitive aids. Sometimes we can be drawn toward a biased decision simply from not using a systematic process. Cognitive aids such as checklists, diagrams, sticky notes, reminders can keep you on track with a systematic process. So before we wrap it up, let's do a quick recap. Bias can be defined as an inclination of temperament or outlook, especially a personal and sometimes unreasoned judgment. Bias can lead us to misinterpret research by searching for studies that support only our belief, witch hunting or trying to invalidate good quality studies, overlooking confounders in research that supports our position, or by only conducting superficial investigation of a topic. Bias can also cause us to make diagnostic errors, and some of those errors include anchoring bias, settling on a diagnosis before having all the facts, ascertainment bias, allowing previous experiences to guide our thought process, confirmation bias, disregarding facts that go against our thought process while accepting only those that go with it, and blind spot bias, neglecting or refusing to see our own weaknesses. It's also important not to mistake bias for experience. And finally, avoiding bias can be achieved by learning as much as you can about bias and other cognitive errors, questioning everything that you think you know, admitting to yourself when you know you're wrong or don't know the answer to something, and using cognitive aids. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to head over to ditchdocem.com to check out the show notes for this episode. If you haven't done so already, 
hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes of the show. And if you have a moment, go ahead and leave a rating in iTunes. Every single rating helps out. Until next time, be safe, and I'll catch you in the next one. The content of the Ditch.EM podcast is based on evidence, fact, and the recommendations of credible sources. Always refer to the protocols and guidelines established by your institution. The views expressed are those of Owen Wood and Ditch.EM in their entirety.